Hey there, thanks for visiting the podcast of the Guelph Vineyard Church. If you haven't already, please subscribe to our podcast using whatever platform you listen on, or visit our website at guelphvineyard.com. Here's this week's message brought to you by our pastor, Chris McQueen. I felt like this was time to maybe bring this series that we've been in since, since Mother's Day, actually. We've been talking on and off about wholeheartedness. And, um, and so the title of the talk this morning is Wholeheartedness and the Beautiful Kingdom of God. Um, and w- what I've been reflecting on is that um, when we think of something like wholeheartedness or self-governance or being transformed into the image of Jesus, I'm, I suspect that if you're anything like me, that tends to filter through um, a very, very personal conversation, right? Because that's what I have control over. I don't have control over how any of you would implement wholeheartedness or following Jesus uh, or any things we've been talking about, but I have control over me, or at least I hope, you know, I, I attempt to. <laughs> My redeemed spirit is, is at work, right? Um, and so it's a very personalized view. How do I implement this? And one of the things that I've been thinking about uh, as just recently is, is that we are part of a much greater story and that that is a really important setting for us to work out our own followership of Jesus. Like in very real and profound ways, it's not just about how, how I am doing or how you are doing. There is always in the scriptures uh, uh, an underlying we. In fact, even when uh, in the Old Testament, when you see the prophets coming and confronting power, speaking truth to offensive kings, for example, it's never about the king. It's never about the judge or whoever, you know, depending on what part of the history of Israel, it's always about the people, right? The speaks to the king, but it's about the people. The call and the invitation is to the people. Isaiah is about the, is about the people. It's not about the individual, it gets worked out in the lives of, of individuals, but the emphasis for us, I think, in our world is so about my experience and how I am experiencing the gospel. And the sense of we as a people, we think of we the people as, as, a, as a political power. right? When I think we the people, I think we have power as people to affect change. Right? I, I, I don't naturally think we the people as in my people. You're my people. I'm your people. Right? Um, there's a phrase that I encountered. Uh, has anyone ever read um, the uh, book by uh, Desmond Tutu, um, No Future Without Forgiveness? Have you ever read that? Oh, it's a powerful book. I highly recommend it. He presided over the Truth and Reconciliation Commission in South Africa. Uh, One of the most powerful uh, 
at least in principle and often in practice, one of the most powerful outworkings of gospel truth on a national level, maybe in history, with regards to just some terrible, terrible things with with apartheid and the division between uh, whites and blacks in South Africa. And... uh, um, and so there's, I'm not going to get into that too much, but I, I just want to reference quickly a phrase that he talks about that helped to heal or to start the healing process. I think sometimes we look at the, at the surface of that story and it sounds very rosy. I know South Africa is, is, is still a place that's in struggle and turmoil. It's not all better. There's not Shangri-La, but, um, he, he says there's this African phrase, our word, Ubuntu, right? Um, and it's a, beautiful, it's a beautiful word. And he describes it, or he defines it this way. I've heard different kind of characterizations of what it means, but he says it like this. A, a people, or a person is a person through other persons. So think about that for a second. A person is a person through other persons. So in other words... If you are suffering, I am suffering. Even, I think, and I think it's true to the level of even if you, my enemy, are suffering, I am suffering. Right? It's a powerful idea. And beautifully, the opposite is also true. If you are flourishing, I also am flourishing. Now, we have an echo of this, obviously, in do unto others as you would have them do unto you. There's a sense of shared responsibility, but I just really love that phraseology. I love it. It's, it's slightly awkward, but I think in that, it invites us into some really powerful thinking. And I think it's very b- biblical in the sense of the kind of people that God raised up, Right? Um, and so as we look at the question, okay, so we've talked about wholeheartedness as specifically living into the promise and the invitation and the command actually to love the Lord, your God with all your strength, all your soul, all your mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. This is the lens that we have been putting this through. We've, so we've said that. Wholeheartedness is ultimately about how we direct our loves, how we form our loves, right? This has kind of been the overall theme and the underlying theme. I think it's sort of been the foundation and the ceiling of this thing, right? How we love. Um, and so I want to talk in the light of the bigger story of, of, of the people of God, but also not just that, because even, even that is, is actually a, a pretty small vision of, of what God has intended through Jesus. It's not, it's not even just the people of God being restored as a people. Um, does anyone know how wide the invitation of the gospel is? You could say cosmos and start to get there. Yeah, right? All of creation. We're going to touch on this in a minute, but 
through Jesus, says God's intention to reconcile to himself how many things? Right? Just people? Oh, okay. <laughs> to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on a cross. Um, it's just so important to me when we think of all, when we think of the mission of God to rescue, that it's, it's, it's huge. And, that's, and it's helpful because we are an element of that, but we are not all of it, right? Um, I'm going to show you a couple of images, and I just want to have a conversation with you about um, what you see. For those who are listening on the podcast, we're looking at somebody in handcuffs. So, just want to open this up. What do you think of when you see this image? Sorry, bondage. Caught. Incarceration. Any other thoughts come to mind? Having to pay a price. The law. Huh, yeah, inequity. Uh, those, those don't look like well-fed hands. It's interesting, interesting. I love, I love how we, how, what our eyes, how we see things. Yep. I definitely see a bad day. Okay, I want to show you another image. Okay, and again, for those listening, we're looking at a series of puzzle pieces. Okay, so talk to me. What do you, what does, what, what comes to mind when you look at this? It all fits. Order. It's one. It's blank. Connection. They're all, all different, but they make a complete whole. All right. Oh, yeah, you caught that, eh? Good job. You're on to something. Yeah. I would like to highlight, actually, that one. Do you guys all see that there's one that's slightly lighter than the others? Um, it's welcome to. Well, it's in the midst of it's in the midst of it, and and I just simply wanted to point out this what the individual experience of being a piece in a puzzle. Okay, so I'm going to put these side by side, and now I want to ask the question: Do these things have anything in common? Yeah. So tell me about that. They're both immobilized. Person in, hand, in handcuffs wants to fit in. Yeah, any other thoughts? What's that? Pressed in. Yeah. Right. 
Yeah, so the puzzle piece would be one in a whole community. The other image is more of a singular image. Although I think we could probably, if, if I had found a photograph of, of like a chain gang, I think it probably would be as appropriate. Um, in fact, maybe even more appropriate because how many of us know that in our, in our bondage, uh, there's community that can be found there as well, right? Yeah. Connection in both. Yeah, that's interesting. I hadn't thought of that. Yeah. So here's what I'm here's here's what I'm thinking and kind of where this came from. So, um, with this first image, I I just kind of see this idea of of a slave uh, to to sin, and I want to just highlight something here. Um, the punctuation is important. Uh, I try to make punctuation and or not punctuation rather. Um, uh, like the grammar of this and the capitalizing things. Um, so there's a capitalized word here that maybe is a bit unique, right? Capitalized sin, uh, capital S. What am I talking about here? Um, I have been reminded increasingly that we, as part of the gospel, Jesus has died that we might be forgiven our sins, Right? The things that we do that we can measure and quantify, whether that's things that we've looked at or things that we've said or ways that we've acted out towards other people, we, we all have our issues and probably we could have uh, an ongoing point of confession of sins. Right, And that's a very, I mean, that's, that's yes, yes. Yes, that's right. That's, in the, that's the scriptures. It's there. There's a deeper concept that I'm talking about here when we talk about being a slave to sin. And it's this idea of, of sin as a power, sin as an authority, right? And this is where we get into the world that Jesus steps into, right? The world that he, that he saves is a world that is, um, and I, I'm going to be a, a little bit, the language here is, is not perfect, but there's an infestation, there's a corruption that is the power of sin, right? So even Jesus, who lived a perfectly righteous life, was still very much affected by sin, right? He was victimized by sin. Sin still existed exists on some level in the world that Jesus inhabited, even though he was perfectly righteous. That is the sort of thing I'm talking about, the, the sin as a, as a power, sin as an authority, right? Um, and, and so as an authority, authorities have the capacity to create uh, subjects. Authorities have the capacity to create Slaves. This is part of how bad authority works, right? Um, and so I want to highlight another here and call this a slave of Christ. Now, this these, these language is found in, in the book of Romans. This is Paul speaking. Uh, we'll reference it shortly. Um, but this is Romans from Romans 6. 
right? He says, he calls a slave of righteousness is what he says. Um, uh, Peter references um, being a slave to Christ uh, and Paul introduces himself actually in Romans as a slave of Christ. And that language is troublesome on some level, because, particularly for us, because we love what? We love autonomy, we love freedom. These are things that we relish, right? It's what we aspire to. Um, and the scriptures portray for us a world where we are, we are free to, to choose our master, but we, but we are we we are not necessarily free to be our own master, right? This is this is part of I think what we rail against and what we're frustrated by uh, when we think of personal freedom and the ability and the autonomy to to, to choose. Um, and so I see that there's a commonality in that both of these scenarios create a sense of a sense of slavery, a sense of being like immobilized. Somebody talked about that was one of the words that was used, right? Um, and and so our understanding of what freedom is and how we understand our part in the body is substantial. It's a significant uh, thing because how many of us know that freedom in Christ? Uh, it, it limits it limits some things for us. It puts some things that are out of bounds, right? Not to the point where we break relationship with Jesus, but this is just part of the thing. If I'm in if I'm in fellowship with Jesus, then that means that we relate to one another on a certain level. That's what we're called to. It's in fact what we're commanded to do, right? To behave in a certain way and to not behave in other ways. And so there is the sense of being bound. Um, and this is also, I think, an image of, in some ways, um, the freedom of Christ, right? The freedom of Christ is a place of belonging. The freedom of Christ is, um, is, is being in your place. So I want to just switch my metaphor here a little bit, if it's okay. Um, and I want to jump to this. So does that, everyone recognize this image? This is um, Mona Lisa. Um, perhaps the greatest masterpiece in history, arguably, not everyone would agree, but the masterpiece, unarguably, of Leonardo da Vinci, who was a pretty big deal, remains a pretty big deal. All right, so this is a piece of art, okay? Um, now, what happens is somebody shows up one day and, and they get access to the painting in the middle of the night. Uh, I know it's not, a re- it's not a very reasonable scenario, but work with me here. And they decide that they need to modernize Mona Lisa and they need to give her some street cred. And so they go ahead and... Uh, can anyone see the difference here? Right? They've given her some tats. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah, they've given her a tattoo. Okay, so, what's that? Yeah, right, right. So, um, what's happened to the painting? It's been, de- it's, been de- it's been devalued. On some level, you might say it's been, it's been destroyed, right? But, it's, I mean, it's just a hand. Like, the rest of it is, in, is intact. It's just, it's just a hand, Right? Why? Why is is it a big deal? 
In the art world, it is. In the art world, it is a very big deal, right? And so what I'm leaning into here is this, the sense of our wholeheartedness, the, the call to wholeheartedness as, as a community is not just about our individual redemption, but our, our collective redemption, right? Our, our Ubuntu, our working this out together. And when the Lord has created, well, creation, and sin creeps into it, when any part of that is compromised, the value of the whole is no longer the same. We don't just compartmentalize, right? And so, again, it's the sense of, the sense of community in our shared state, let's say. So, I want to pull up another image, and this is a relatively unimportant uh, f- uh, fresco in Spain. It was painted around 1930, so it's fairly old, but not all of that, not all that old. Um, translated, it s- simply means "Behold the man," and uh, it's it's in a church in Spain, right? Has anyone seen this image before? Some of us have seen this image before, so you might know where this is going. Um, it's okay. It's, it's fairly unremarkable. There are thousands that are like it, right? But somebody came along, and they recognized that it was starting to fall into some disrepute. And uh, this, this lady who was, um, I think she was around 80 years old, she uh, was a, uh, an amateur painter, but wanted to do a, a, a good thing for the church, and so she decided that she would restore it. Um, and so she... So she, <laughs> all in good intentions, all, all in good intentions. This was not, this, this was not her mocking Jesus. This was, right? And so now it's, it's commonly referred to as, instead of behold the man, it's now commonly referred to as behold the monkey. <laughs> so this remains in church. This church in Spain. And um, my, my point here is that uh, I, I just, the, it's necessary for the artist to do restoration, <laughs> right? Um, this is an important thing. And uh, it just, for me, community is often, particularly when we want to see wholeheartedness in those around us, this can look like, I'm going to fix you. <laughs> right? Because we are in community, we're going to have a relationship with people who have various forms of uh, defacement. I have defacement in my life as, as, a, as an image of God, and so do you. And so our relationship with one another is very important in terms of how we lean forward into the bigger story of things. So I want to go back to the Mona Lisa for a second. Okay, so here we have a close-up of the tatted hand, right? So um, what happens, what can happen to us when we start to see restoration start to take place within our community? 
right? If we made all these little puzzle pieces, if we made them little people, um, if we long for restoration to be restored, but our view is just ourselves, we can, we can tend to have an unhealthy relationship when we see restoration taking place around us. Why did you get healed? And, and I didn't. Why do you not struggle with this thing that I struggle with? Right? Or worse, we both used to struggle with this thing and you have healing and I don't have healing. This is a, this is a real part of what it looks like to live out in community. What is our relationship as restoration starts to take place? So it's one question. I want to invert this a little bit. What starts to happen when we are part of the community of the redeemed and God is doing his work and we are along the way and the artist has begun to restore us, but there are pieces or a piece in our community that is just flagrantly a problem. They're not restored yet. What do we do? What are we to do? How are we to be a wholehearted community in this place? We know the danger of trying to take care of it ourselves, I hope, after the last illustration, right? What are we to do? That sure ain't fixed, huh? Our posture and our relationship and how we understand the redemptive work of God in our community and how we value and love. Who suddenly misses the tatted puzzle piece that hasn't been restored yet from the image? If I had to pick, I definitely would go back, right? We don't. And, and I think to, on some level, if I was to categorize our community, um, you know, like, let me put it to you this way. When I was in Winnipeg, church smelled like alcohol and solvents. Because there was so much addiction. It was unmaskable. There was, there was so much brokenness. Right? And so of the images, in some level, it's like one of the questions that I have for us as a community, I'm going longer than I thought. Is this okay? The kids, you guys are doing great. Um, this is what happens when you're tired and speaking. <laughs> um, one, of the, one of the, I wouldn't call it a concern, but a reality for us is that I think of the images, um, we present like, we're, we have on the surface at least, on the surface, at least, we as a community have things p- kind of put together. It looks like it, right? We don't typically smell of solvents when we come together. We don't have guards or bouncers who are constantly walking around making sure that the place is safe. These are not dynamics that we have to contend with right now, right? And so there's an element to which I want to see, you know, like my desire is that we would have um, more brokenness in our community, not because I want us to be broken, but because that's what it looks like to invite, to not have missing pieces, to not have missing pieces in our community. I would rather you be 
defaced as a human being and, and with us than not with us, right? And so wholeheartedness as a community caught in the context of the whole restorative work of God and not just how clean we are or are being made. Again, the language is a bit sloppy here, but I think you can probably get the, get the point that I'm trying to pull out here. I want to touch on some scripture here. We're, we are getting close. So Colossians 1.16 says this, For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. Just this declaration that God is the artist. God is the one who is at work, Right? This is where we come from. And to reiterate from Acts uh, 3.21, it says, Heaven must receive him, being Jesus, until the time comes for God to restore everything, as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. Um, A couple of quick notes here. Restore everything. Everything is to say the whole. Right? It's not exclusive. All things. Just like we talked about. What's the size of the gospel? It's cosmic. Right? Um, And the language of restore is like this restore to intent. Restore to original purpose. Um, The Mona Lisa, precisely as da Vinci painted her, is what the, what the gospel invitation is in this. It is almost like a, a connection back to Eden, right? That kind of a restoration work. So as I was thinking about this, I had this um, image that came to my mind, and it was brokenness in reverse, right? The idea of that which is broken. And how many of you know that if I take a glass, and I'm not going to do it, but if I took a glass and I threw it onto the ground and it shattered, that there is nothing, all the king horse, all the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty together again, right? We, we cannot do this thing. That which is broken, we may be able to mend, but we cannot make as if new. We cannot restore to original purpose. Right, And what I, I saw this image in my head and it was of God doing this impossible thing. And so what we see here is a mess. Liquid, glass, something that we cannot restore. All we can do, we can do what? We can clean it up and we can throw it out. Right? Let me just state unequivocally, this is not the mission of the church, to clean up the mess and to throw it out. This is is not the work of God. It's not the work of the church. This is not the work of the church either, because we can't do this, but this is the work of the Spirit. And I saw this image of brokenness it looked like it was brokenness in reverse, but it was, actually, it was actually pointing forward. And this is the marvelous invitation 
of the wholeheartedness of the cosmos of creation. Yes, restoration. Now, in the meantime, we have, we, we, you know, there are all manner of things. The Japanese art where you take broken pottery and you put it back together with gold and that becomes a beautiful new thing. And that's part of the kingdom too. And, you know, th- these metaphors only go so far. But I love this image of brokenness in reverse, but still pointing forward. And I'm just going to close this way. Revelation, the end of the book, the end of the story, the trajectory of what God is doing, right? Behold, I am making all things new, right? And so when we are in community and we have these wrestles with why them and not me, right? Why do they get healing and I don't get healing? Why do they get deliverance and I don't get deliverance? When we're part of a whole, we get to delight in the restoration that's happening around us. And that's part of what it means, I believe, in super concrete, maybe it's not super concrete, it feels concrete to me, language. If we are caught up in the mission of God rather than the mission of Chris, right? When I see someone else flourishing and coming back to their original state, what does my heart do? My heart celebrates because the, because the purposes of God are being achieved around me. And because I trust this, all things, and guess what? All things does not exclude me. Right? So I can rest, and I have on different levels, and I know I'm speaking to a room of people who have done this too. Can, not resting in suffering, but resting in the goodness of God in the context of suffering, because all things is what, is what he has declared. And so this is how we can celebrate the goodness of God and how we can also celebrate when brokenness comes into our community and makes us feel like, well, we didn't have as, we didn't have as many tats. And now, not that tattoos are wrong. I'm just, it, on that level, it's kind of, but as a, as a metaphor, right? Um. Wow, that's, that's a beautiful thing because that's stepping towards the redemptive work of Jesus. All right, so this is my message for this morning. And this is how we close out the series on wholeheartedness. It's not just about us, it's about our community. So Lord, we ask that you would make us a people who are a people through other persons. Lord, that this would be something that would weave into the DNA of this community a celebration of your goodness and of your restoration in those around us, even in those things that we ourselves struggle with or against. Lord, let your kingdom come however it comes. Let your kingdom come in my neighbor, in my neighbor, in my neighbor's life. I trust you for healing, Lord. And God, we ask as well that you would make us a messy people, that you would make us a people who bear the scars of the world that we live in, not because we celebrate brokenness, but because, because you bring healing to brokenness. And we believe that this place of gathering is a place where healing and restoration can take place and will take place. And so, Lord, we want to welcome, we just open up the doors and say, bring us your addicts, bring us your broken.
We know that you will be with us in that place, Jesus. And God, we ask that you would make us a wholehearted people, even as we wrestle through the reality of, of a world that is not fully restored yet. But God, that you are making all things new. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And if you agree, everyone, we can say amen. All right, thank you for your patience. Have a great day.